Hey, everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. Year in Review 2002. Everybody and welcome back to our episode Gilda Films po- of Gilda Films Podcast. Um, if you were listening to the last episode, you know that we were talking about the Best Picture nominees and the ultimate winner, which was the Razzle Dazzle Movie Chicago, aka like the best movie in the world. Uh, but we are back once again, and we're doing our favorite part of this all. It is the year in review, where we are going to talk about six movies that. Uh, May or may not have gotten some Oscar nominations, but won the hearts of viewers or were pretty popular and iconic as hell. And then we'll get into, of course, our like personal awards and everything else. But as always, it is I, Christian. Hello. And here to lead the way is Brett. Hello. 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 It's been a while since we've actually done this. Um, yeah, we've just had a lot of things get in the way. A little thing called life. For all three of us, <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been stress level midnight, as they would say. But here is our special guest. She joined us for the last episode covering the best picture nominees. It is my best friend Maddie. Hello, 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 dear listeners. Hello. All right, she's back. We're excited. We have a lot of movies to talk about, and uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and segue into it all then, because our first one is going to be. Uh, the movie that Brett picked for us. So take it away. Yeah. I mean, this year was especially difficult to pick because there are a lot, a lot of stuff that came out this year that was really notable and had seen, hadn't seen. But the first one I picked is the directorial effort from Spike Lee from 2002. And that is 25th Hour. And so this movie stars Edward Norton in the lead role as Monty Brogan. Um, he is a drug dealer in New York City. I can't remember which borough he was in, probably Brooklyn, Um, but one of the boroughs there. And he is turning himself in. He's going to prison in 24 hours. So basically the film is pretty much about that the whole day leading up to that, um, him connecting with people that are close to him, including his two best friends who are played by Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, his girlfriend, Naturell, who's played by Rosario Dawson, and his father, who's played by Brian Cox. Um, I think the cast here is pretty amazing. Anna Paquin is in this as well. Uh, there's a really interesting kind of creepy, um, subplot between her and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but that's basically what the film is about. And I, you know, I picked this because it's a Spike Lee film, obviously it's one that I hadn't seen before, but I remember when Black Klansman came out in 2018, one of the things that I just consistently saw from a lot of people was this is his best film since 25th hour. Um, some people differ. Some might have said, you know, um, obviously do the right thing or Malcolm X, but um, I saw that quite a bit. And so I think leading into all that and just having that kind of background and yet not watching it for three years until now, I was bound to be a little bit disappointed by it, but I still think it's a pretty good movie, um, if not quite good. Um, I just don't think it's quite great. 
Um, Edward Norton is really good in the lead role. I think he just kind of gets lost. I think this is a really great year for lead actors overall. Um, but I think the biggest issue I found with the movie is that we just, there's a lot of time in the movie that we don't spend with him. Um, I mean, there's a lot of moments that are spent with Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and they're both great. Like, I think Barry Pepper is actually like really, really good in this movie, as is Brian Cox. But the movie's not about them. You know, so why are we spending so much time with them? They're talking about Monty. I, I want to be with Monty. I want to figure out what he's doing in this 24 hours. And none of what he does was um, particularly revolutionary to me in any way. It's kind of exactly what you might expect him to do as he's preparing to go to prison. So nothing was very shocking. Um, I think Spike Lee, you know, does, does a nice job here, but some of the stuff that becomes a little bit typical in his work, I think doesn't always fit in the movie. There are like random spots where the editing is really flashy and whatnot. And it didn't really work for me in that way. Um, but the moments where they do like when Monty Edward Norton is involved and they're having conversations, I think it does flow well for the most part, um, you know, leading into that conclusion, the last like five to 10 minutes of this movie, I think is really excellent. Uh, Brian Cox kind of has this monologue that he goes through and it's really, really good. Um, but overall, I, I think it's good, not great. I know the film is kind of notable or influential because it really addresses 9-11. Um, and it was really one of the first films to do that a year after 9-11 occurred. And it takes place in New York. I think, you know, it's obviously it, it has a place in cinema for that reason, but it doesn't automatically make the film great. Um, you know, it was going to happen at some point. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really good in some parts, some places. I, I don't like the Anna Paquin subplot. I don't even know why it's there, honestly. I, I, don't, I don't think it does anything for the plot and really just kind of makes me feel weird about Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, which I never want to do unless it's meant to be that way. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so out of the six movies that we have here, this is the only one that I have not seen. So interested enough to see that, especially it's a Spike Lee joint. But I think my biggest thing with this was it didn't even feel like it was a Spike Lee movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anybody else? Yeah, you're all shaking your heads. Um, yeah. I don't know, because I'm just expecting something like along the lines of Black Klansman or Do the Right Thing, where like the editing is pretty consistent. I don't know. I wasn't really interested in this white man's story. I'm sorry about it. The monologue scene, though, which you haven't brought up yet, that he has a ranting about New York. That's like the one of the best moments in the film. So I will give it that. Edward Norton is like, that seems great. Um, but no, like Brett said, the focusing on the friends is it's fine. I don't really I really wish that they wouldn't have done that because I don't care about them when this movie is supposed to be about Monty. Um, but Brian Cox, excellent, excellent performance there at the end with his sort of dream monologue, which I really like. But I was I wouldn't say that like, I'm a super fan of this. I do appreciate it for its cultural status as one of like the first movies post 9-11 to address 9-11. Um, and I think, too, that Spike Lee is probably a good director for this since he is like New York and he knows yeah. New York. But yeah, I don't know. Wasn't wasn't like the biggest fan of it. And yeah. Good. That's that's when we said before the show we were going to attack you, Brett, because it's like, whoa. Like, I don't know. I don't remember this movie that much. Like I said, I think it's quite good, but it's not special. Like, and it's not what I heard it was going in. 
like I've heard just so many great things about this movie. Like, oh, it's this great character study. And I'm a little bit just kind of, I think like mind-wise, like when I'm taking it, there's a lot of good stuff here, but there's nothing like that just like blew me away in the way I was hoping it would. Yeah, I'm on the side of Christian with this. Um, I thought it was a little bland. I liked Edward Norton's character a lot. I thought he brought something interesting to the character of Monty. Um, yeah, I would say for the, the best parts were probably the rant that he has about the New Yorkers of New York and what basically makes New York up. And then at the very end, the um, the Brian Cox, like the speech and everything that he talks about, I thought was great, but it just felt bland. I don't know why we're supposed to care about Philip Seymour Hoffman and Barry Pepper. And I, I felt like their dialogue together was supposed to be at least witty or interesting or had any kind of substance to it, but they were just chatting, I guess. I felt like they didn't have very good chemistry. Um, Overall, I was texting Christian during this and I was like, how is there an hour left? How is there 30 minutes left? Hasn't he gone to prison yet? That's um, another thing. The movie feels like super, super long and it's it feels super long starting in the damn beginning of this thing. <laughs> right, right. Agreed. I felt like there were a lot of points where we could have seen more of Monty's backstory instead of them mentioning a couple things from his past that led him to this point. It would have been interesting to see that. It would have given any kind of break in the Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman drinking beers and looking at ground zero. And (laughs) I don't know. It was just... Uh, <laughs> I was not impressed, but I really liked the cast, which was such a bummer, I guess, because the cast was awesome. You know who Barry Pepper was giving me vibes of? Um, Matthew McConaughey's character in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, I guess his it. character. Yeah. His character in this is the junior version of what Matthew McConaughey will become. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's part of the reason why it doesn't work as well, because I think like. The one part at Ground Zero where they're discussing where it did interest me was when they say, like, they're kind of arguing of, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a little more hopeful. He's like, we'll see Monty again. You know, he'll he'll get out. He'll be okay. And Barry Pepper's like, dude, we're not going to see him again. You know, and you don't know if he means, like, this guy's not going to make it through prison or he's going to go elsewhere. Or if we're just like, we're going to see him, but he's not going to be Monty, you know. And that's pretty interesting to me. But... It also, it doesn't always work because I don't understand why Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman would be friends. Like these are like, these people are not just polar opposites, but I just do not see them co-mingling at all. So it doesn't help kind of bring it all together. Right. They kind of have like interesting discussions nested and really boring. And why is this even happening? (laughs) Discussions. Like when they go over to his apartment before they go to meet up with Monty, it's like, how did this even happen? Why is he even over there? Why didn't they just meet up together? It was very odd. And I yeah. did not enjoy Philip Seymour Hoffman's character very much. I think he was probably the only character that I was like, Ugh. I know because you were texting me like, this is his worst role. I'm like, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah, let, let's just get the, the bag. He, he has... 
he's major crushing on his student, uh, played by Anna Paquin in the movie. And it's very creepy and it, it takes directions. And I, I yeah, like I said, I, I didn't get the point of it. I didn't really know why that was even necessary. So that's also not the first time that she's having like a teacher crush because she's also in a movie called like Margaret from 2011. That's yeah. what that's about? Oh well, no, it's not, not totally what it's about. Okay. But that's okay. like another subplot in there where she has a crush on her teacher. So I was like, whoa, Anna Paquin. All right, girl. Interesting. Go play yeah. your piano. But yeah, this one um, did not receive any Oscar nominations, um, which I think is terribly surprising. Um, They don't really, aside from Black Klansman, you know, the Oscar one there, they don't really like Spike Lee and Spike Lee doesn't always like them. So not terribly surprising, but yeah, no Oscar nods, but like I said, one of the first to reference 9-11. So it does kind of stick around in that way. All right. Any final thoughts on 25th hour? All right, Christian, I believe you have our next one. I do. So we're going to go from 9-11 to something even more. Uh, Well, shit. (laughs) So my intro here to begin. On April 20th, 1999, in the town of... Make sure I well, yeah, okay, Columbine, Colorado, there was a mass shooting at the Columbine High School. We now commonly refer to this as Columbine. It was a mass shooting, of course, uh, with students, and it was obviously very deadly, a lot of lives lost, but it wasn't the first. Uh, It wasn't the first in a series of mass shootings in the United States. In 2002, Michael Moore, film director, would go on to examine the reasonings behind why Columbine happened, examining the reasonings of guns in the United States, the violence in the United States, the fear in the United States in his Oscar-winning documentary, which we are talking about. It is Bowling for Columbine. So yes, Michael Moore made this film. Um, He did win the Academy Award for this, but like I said, he does go into basically everything there is to know about the Second Amendment and the United States of America. And such things happens as he meets with a couple of the victims who did survive Columbine and takes them to the Kmart World Headquarters where they confront some Kmart bigwigs about the bullets that are still in their body. He examines how much American foreign policy has influenced a lot of overthrowing across the sea and around the world basically. Um, he talks about the fear that Americans have of each other and how in Canada people can unlock their doors for everybody, yada, yada. And then in the climax of it all, and one of the most iconic moments, which I have a lot of mixed feelings about, he talks to Charlton Heston. Yes, the Charlton Heston that we have spoken about with Ten Commandments that get your damn hands off me, you damn dirty ape. Yes, it's a... It's a very good, great documentary, I think. I'm actually very excited to hear your opinions on this, but it is one that I picked only because the subject of mass shootings is still a relevant topic. Very sad to say that, but this film being made in 2002 explores something that happened in 1999, but we are still talking about this today, and we are still going through this whole mass shooting hysteria that keeps on happening and why does it keep happening 
why is it that nothing has changed nothing has stopped it's most likely with our politics because everything has to be so fucking political but yeah that is bowling for columbine by michael moore the man has a very strong opinion on shit and i appreciate the hell out of that go yeah so this one gosh this one hits like a ton of bricks um especially because you know i not do i live in colorado now but i have been close to colorado for many years of my life so um i remember growing up you know columbine was like it was what people referred to with mass shootings like anytime it came up, Columbine is what came up. Um, you know, I, we read we read about it in school one year. I remember we read like a, a testimonial and um, things like that. It was just kind of like the one that really sent shockwaves. Um, not that it was the first, you know, obviously, but um, one that really and is still referenced all the time. Um, but I think being in Colorado and, and watching this really had a profound effect that I don't know if I would have felt otherwise, because this happens, you know, this is something that happens all over the country a lot, but I mean, you know, in Colorado, we've had Columbine, obviously we had the Aurora theater shooting, which has changed the way I go to movies ever since. Like I've not sat in a movie theater the same way since then. Um, and this year, the Boulder shooting on top of numerous other um, smaller shootings that have occurred. Um, and so it just seems to be something that happens in such a high profile way and with a lot of death um, in this state pretty often, which is, you know, interesting. But um, yeah, the way Michael Moore approaches it is really interesting to me. You know, obviously, you know what his opinions are. He's very upfront about it as the film goes on. And, you know, whether you agree or not is probably going to de determine how you feel about the film. Um I tend to agree with a lot, if not everything he says, um, for the most part. Um, it's really, it was really interesting to watch because I'm not, I'm familiar with Michael Moore, not terribly familiar with his movies. And to me, Michael Moore is someone who is often kind of presented or comes off as like very abrasive, but the way he approaches his like interview subjects is like, at least at first, like very nice. Um, like the way he pulls out to pulls up to Charleston Heston's, you know, driveway, you know, he's going to have disagreements with Heston, but he kind of presses like, yeah, Mr. Heston, I'm here. I wanted to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. He kind of knows what he has to do to get in and talk to these people. Um, and he, he's not afraid to push and push until he kind of gets what he wants. Um, sometimes that comes off a little strange, depending on who the interview subject is. Um, you know, he's going to get the answer he wants and kind of walk away from it. But at some, you know, a lot of times it's kind of needed to really get the truth out. So I will say, you know, definitely, obviously, content warning with this one, not just because of the subject itself, but there are, he does use clips of actual, like, gun violence in the movie. Um, you know, people being shot and um, even, you know, completing suicide, things like that on screen. So just be aware of that. But I also like, it's, the documentary is not the same throughout. It's not just interviews. It's not just that. He uses, like, um, almost like South Park-inspired um, animated segments and things like that to really get his point across. And Michael Moore is kind of a funny guy, you know, at times, you know, he's humorous, but he really does get down to the point. And the Kmart stuff was really, really fascinating um, how that all went about and how he, you know, got those um, individuals together and kind of, you know, set that aside. But I think this is a film that is still like insanely relevant. I think, you know, part of the, there might even be a push 
to have like an update. I don't think that should be the case because I think the point still is the same. You know, even though we've had more mass shootings, nothing has been done at a governmental level. You know, I, I think whether you, whether no matter what you think causes these, I think we all agree that very little has been done at a government level to create real change in regards to this. So I think the impact of the film is not only severely felt, but I think it's even felt more when you can watch it today and say things are pretty much the same. Um, so it kind of gets me fired up in some ways. This is a topic that um, I feel obviously very strongly about and um, very interested. There's a book about Columbine that was written in like 09 that I really want to read to get more background on it. But um, very good. Doc. I'm, you know, I'm glad it won. Um, it's actually not my favorite doc of the year. Bus 174 is another one that I know Krishna has seen. I think it's really, really good as well. Um, but it's, yeah, it's top notch. Plus 174 is great. Come on. It's a great doc. Um, I was really appreciative that Christian chose this film for one of his two for this, this series. I wasn't thrilled to be watching it, um, but it's very informative. It's very poignant. It continues to, I mean, the message has just transcended 19 years and nothing has changed so much could happen in that time but we as a society have just chosen to do nothing um there's good breaks with more i feel conflicted about more in his use of comedy i feel like it's necessary um but i his use of um, when he's putting the statistics of how the United States has influenced world politics and overthrowing certain leaders and placing new ones and then how many civilians are killed as a result and having what a wonderful world playing over that segment is very on the nose. Um, but in a lot of his interviews, he's very outwardly respectful all of the questions that he asks, he is taking like a genuine, he doesn't mock anybody outwardly. But like, for instance, that interview he had with the police officer about some hunters thinking it would be cute to put a gun on their dog and take a picture of it, a loaded gun, and it ended up shooting one of them. And he was just talking to the officer and was like, so was the dog prosecuted? Like, was he brought in? And our animals held liable and, and the cop was answering him in the same way in a very serious tone. And it was just such a ridiculous conversation to be having. But I really, I think one of my favorite segments was when he went to Canada, um, right across from Detroit. And he was, everybody was like, no, we don't lock our doors. And he was going around in a neighborhood, trying their doors and all of them were unlocked. And he'd be like, oh, excuse me. And nobody was alarmed that this stranger was opening their door. Not even a stranger, a stranger with a camera crew. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, the United States could never. But when they talk about what is the difference between the United States and Canada? Because Canadians have guns, perhaps not weapons of mass destruction in the forms of assault rifles. You know, it's a different kind of gun control, but they also, he breaks a little bit. He dips his toe in the idea of socioeconomics 
and how Canada has universal health care and they have a better welfare system. And even though they had at that time a higher unemployment rate, and I think it was even a higher poverty rate, they still had community outreach programs that allowed people to be elevated a little bit more so they didn't have that strain on their lives that could lead down the road to what is very common in the United States at this point. Um, this is my first more documentary. I've kind of avoided them in the past, but I think it's a very important one. And I think it will be for God, however long <laughs> this takes to get some sort of gun reform in the United States. And it's not going to be your last one. <laughs> I'm going to beg you to do whenever we do 2004 because Fahrenheit 9-11. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I'm. What did you, uh, Maddie, what did you think about like the Charlton Heston interview? That, that was interesting because uh, it was uncomfortable to say mm-hmm. the least. I feel like Charlton Heston... I mean, he's just a figurehead, you know, I don't think he necessarily knows because he said, I believe he was like, would you apologize for coming to Colorado? Was it, was it the Columbine shooting that they came right after and had that whole, it was, like, yeah, it was that one and another one. Yeah. Okay. And it was like a little girl getting killed also. Yeah. Right, right, right. In Michigan. I think it was Flint, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. where where more is from. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, I don't even recall that's what happened. And it's just very Charlton Heston was like, I didn't know that was the day. It wasn't planned that way. It's just he just can't be authentic. He can't just like he just can't do it. It was just so bizarre to me that he had that dissonance to just be like, ah, I don't know, and then walk away. It was also, I, I, can't he, I cannot believe he would let that man into his house. That's what I thought. Knowing yeah, who he was. Yeah. Right. But did you, did you read like the fun facts over that? And that when Michael Moore left, he got to like the bottom of the hill and the gate was locked. So he had to send the footage to through like with a page or whatever that was helping him because they thought that Heston's team was going to come in and confiscate that footage. Yeah. And then also, I think there was something of like, they did set up a date to do that. That's why it's so natural, too. It's not just like, yeah, I guess I'll give you an interview. It's like, yeah, here you are. Yeah, I'll interview you. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm so uncomfortable with it all the time. And then the fact that he leaves the picture of the little girl at the entrance, too. It's like, what? what, Like, I don't know. That's just the weirdest part of this. Like, I really love this film, but that's the most uncomfortable aspect of it. And then also seeing yeah. Marilyn Manson in this, in like today's standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because of what's all been going on with that whole situation. But I mean, it's, it's interesting though, to think what people blamed Columbine of and it being Marilyn Manson, I guess. And I guess the mm-hmm. violence on TV or whatever. Doom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, it's like I'm glad the documentary did have space to address something like that, like forms of media being blamed um, for like warping these children's mind into committing a mass shooting. Uh, but it does that has definitely not aged well. But yeah, I 
I was, I was saying like, because when Michael Moore, he shows up to Charles Heston's house and it says, Hey, it's Michael Moore, you know, documentary filmmaker. And, um, you know, so you get the sense that Heston knows who he is. So he probably knows his political leanings. Um, so I was also surprised that he even got in. Um, but the place is like, obviously this is centrally in Columbine, but it does, you know, Moore does travel for this. I think one of the more interesting scenes for me, I think it was like right at the beginning where he goes to like a bank or something and opens an account and they give him a free gun. Um, and that's really interesting alone, but it's also like certain areas of the U S that's not that surprising. You know, if you're from a really small town, maybe a bank. Yeah. That, that's a little bit far, but like, it's not uncommon for these places to just give away guns like this. And so you really think about gun culture. And I think even, you know, for someone who's really kind of into it, there are things here that might be eye-opening for anybody who watches. Um, so it's kind of interesting in that way too. Yeah. Christian, do you want to go over this film's Oscar night, I guess I should say? Yes. So this film did win the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. And Moore got on stage with his team and then I believe the other nominees in that category. And like we spoke about at the first episode, it was only a couple days after the invasion of Iraq when the United States went into Iraq. Um, and Moore got up there and he said, basically along the lines of, we live in, I make, I make documentaries which are true to life, but we now live in fictitious, uh, fictitious times when a fictitious president in a fictitious election is getting us into a fictitious war. Shame on you, Mr. Bush. And when you have the Dixie Chicks and the Pope against you, as the music is going and everybody's booing or clapping either or, yeah, he gets kicked off the stage. So very eventful for him. Um, there's actually a supplementary material in the DVD and the Blu-ray of the Criterion Collection of this that he finally gives like the full on Oscar speech that he would have given that night. Oh. And I'm also very curious as to what actually happened post that, because if you look at his uh, Academy Award, he's back home in Flint. It doesn't have the gold plate on it that would normally say like best documentary feature. So they must have just like got him the hell out of that theater. Yeah, didn't get to go to the after parties or anything. Wow. Yeah. But it's iconic and it's one of the, my favorite moments of the Oscars like ever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Very nice. Yeah, great pick. Um, great doc to get to discuss and talk about. Any final thoughts on bowling for Columbine before we go on? Oh, I was supposed to say, because the, the title for this has always confused me. I didn't know like what it meant, like bowling for what the what the hell? Uh, it, he basically says that like basically the two killers went bowling um, the morning before this occurred. So uh, just kind of a signal that that's where the title comes from. But this, I think he has brilliant titles just all around. I don't know. Between this, yeah. Fahrenheit 9 11, Fahrenheit 11 9, yeah. <laughs> and Sicko, it's like those are pretty good titles. The man knows what he's doing with those. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sorry, one more thing because I'm on my high horse. I really like Michael Moore. Uh, Maddie and I had a, a former classmate. He, he doesn't probably listen to this, so we'll name him by name, but his name is Kyle. Uh, she's like gagged right now but he used to say that all of Michael Moore's films were narrative and 
not documentaries. Oh but God. Oh, he's okay. a big like you know fuck you, Kyle, because he's definitely a documentary. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, definitely changing gears here. Our next one is not a documentary. Uh, definitely not directed by Michael Moore. Uh, our our next one is directed by Steven Spielberg, and it is Catch Me If You Can. And so this is the story of Frank Abagnale Jr., who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And basically at the age of, of 17 or 18, I think it's 17 at first, um, this film takes place over like um, three or four years. Um, his parents are like getting a divorce and, you know, he's seen them kind of struggle to make it and provide and whatnot, um, especially through his father. Brilliant performance from Christopher Walken in this as his father. Um, but he kind of sets out and decides he's going to go and starts like uh, he's going to pretend to be an airline pilot and he's going to forge, uh, basically create their checks, you know, that they give to their pilots and pretend to be like this airline guy. Um, it's kind it's kind of hard to explain unless you watch the movie because this story is so out there and unreal that there's no possible way it could be true. Guess what? It is. Uh, this was a true story. Frank Abagnale Jr. He, this all happened like, you know, he did this until he was like barely 21 years old. He started out, you know, by faking as being a pilot. He went on to pretend he was a doctor and then finally a lawyer in the state of Louisiana. And he basically gets out of doing things that we would normally expect these people to do. Like, um, I can't remember the name of it, but he poses as the guy who basically like sits on the airlines in the cockpit. And he only once does he ever like even approach doing what a doctor might do um, and a lawyer and whatnot. So he kind of slips out and everything real kind of slimy how he does it, but he gets rich from doing this. Um, and tries to kind of maintain contact with his father during this whole time. Of course, there's no way it's going to go that easily. So he is constantly being chased by um, Carl Hanratty, who is an FBI agent who is played by Tom Hanks. Hence the title, Catch Me If You Can. And so a lot of the film is actually kind of about their very strange relationship. They do converse with each other through the phone um, every Christmas, um, which kind of leads to some interesting discussions. And basically it's all about how, you know, um, Hanratty will get super close and then Abingdale will find his way out. And it even becomes kind of like a globe trekking adventure in a way. Um, I, I really love this movie. I think aside from, I, I'm trying to think of Spielberg's movies since this, but aside from maybe like War of the Worlds, maybe his last truly great movie. Um, Christian, do you have one I'm missing? I'm thinking. If you think of it, let me know. But I'm tr I struggled to think of one. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is not, I wouldn't say this is my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performance, but I think it's Leonardo DiCaprio, his most irreplaceable. Like I cannot see anybody else in 2002 doing this the way he did. I mean, he is someone who, yes, I would believe this guy's 18 years old, or I would believe, you know, he's playing 30. He could make me believe that. Um, so he is, I, I think he's absolutely brilliant here. Just an extremely like high value performance from him. Um, and Tom Hanks, of course, that just to see those two, Tom Hanks is obviously a legend. Leonardo DiCaprio has built a great career for himself. Um, and to kind of see them go at it at this point is really kind of fun. Um, like I said, Christopher Walken is great. We get to see an early Amy Adams, who I think is hilarious in this movie. 
Um, love her with, with her braces and everything. Um, yeah, it's a really strong movie. It is consistently interesting, exciting two hours and 20 minutes. It makes the use of all that runtime. And you really just, I, I feel like I get caught up in the chase. Um, you know, it takes place in the sixties, seventies. And so kind of looking at from that viewpoint and what they were able to do at that time. Um, it's just a really exciting movie. Um, that's a lot of fun. So I love it. Thoughts. Um, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I was looking forward to it a lot just because again, the ensemble is really great. Um, Christopher Walken is such a fun, I guess is the word bad influence on his son, but I feel like this was the time for interesting con artistry in, in the way that it was like truly artistry kind of thing. Cause they, the forging of their documents had to have a lot of finesse and attention to detail. Um, I didn't, I, before I watched this, I didn't know it was a true story until I looked into it more, but it was, it's a lot of fun. It's quick paced. It's well, yeah, I think it's paced pretty quickly, pretty appropriately. Um, cause how long is it? It's almost two and a half hours, but it doesn't feel that long in my opinion. Um, the editing is great. Steven Spielberg, he has such a wide range of directing ability. I love that he has, yeah, such, I don't know. He's great. He's Christian's favorite. I understand why it is such a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. Yay. Um, yes, Brett, like it catch me if you can and war of the worlds, everything after that, it's, it's fine. I still like it. Obviously. Lincoln's good. Like I like Lincoln, but I don't think it's great. Yeah. For example. I mean, I don't know, but Meryl Streep in the post, that's whew, She has one great scene in that. Like, damn. Okay. Anyway. So yes, I really love this movie. Like really, really love it. Also, I want to give a shout out to like John Williams score in this mm. because it's like a jazzy upbeat score um not a lot of the french horns in this one so that's really good um and also i want to comment on spielberg's normal cinematographer uh i hope i say this right but janus come oh janus kaminsky mm-hmm. but he's been doing his cinematography for quite a while upcoming west side story um but i don't care for his cinematography in the later years because there's a lot of like the lights just glaring everywhere and everything has that like effect, you know, but this doesn't, I mean, it does in some parts, but this is mostly like really great cinematography as well. So it's not very eye jarring. Uh, Again, with Christopher Walken being very good in this, I really like Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is like one of my personal favorites in this. And it does surprise Brett though, that I do find this to be a very great Leonardo DiCaprio performance. Yes. Because I, after this, Leo with me, it's like, meh, you're, you're all right. But yeah, this also has a musical, which I've, I've only heard a couple of the songs. And it's like, why is this a musical? In what world? Right. But this is a good example, too. We keep talking about the runtime. It's a great example of it goes by fast. You know, yeah. and it's like nothing is wasted. Every single moment has something that you're either like laughing about or shocked about it's it's a great film and amy adams gotta love her she'll win one day she wins in my heart for this movie 
you bring him, it, it's funny too. I, I forgot to mention, like, it, it's a really funny movie at times. Um, like when he's meeting Amy Adams's parents for the first time and, um, yeah, for sure. I really like, um, the opening titles of this movie. Cause it's got like planes going through it. It's all like kind of animated. Um, but it really captures the essence of the movie and the, the ending of course is great as well. I always find it funny just to think about like Frank Abingdale as a person. Cause I think it, it's definitely, um, in some ways a, a sympathetic portrayal. Um, but at the time, obviously he was like on the FBI's most wanted list. I can recall like five years ago, he was definitely on a chase commercial, like talking about himself, like on TV. Um, I'm pretty sure it was chase, but it may have been something else, but it's interesting to kind of see him down the road as well. It is honestly hilarious that this is a true story. Yes. The things he does in this is wild beyond me. Never could happen today. Right. And I haven't looked at like the actual, I haven't read any books or anything about this partially because I don't want to ruin the mystique of it for myself. Um, but it is truly wild. This actually did get nominated for two Oscars. Um, Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken. Neither DiCaprio or Hanks got nominated for this. Um, and John Williams' very underrated Best Original Score was nominated as well. They should have got way, 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 way more. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Great Spielberg to check out if you haven't already. Um, be sure to check that out. Any final thoughts on Catch Me If You Can? Perfect. Christian, the next one I'm sure you're excited for. So go ahead and take us away. Okay. So it's not a podcast unless I choose a Disney movie. I say as I don't think I've ever chosen a Disney movie. <laughs> uh, okay. So this one is one that's near and dear to my heart, probably a lot of people. And it is honestly one of their top three greatest animated features ever, in my own humble opinion. And it is Lilo and Stitch. God love this movie. But so the first part of our story takes place in space with Stitch Experiment 626. He is an alien. He is a little misfit alien and he escapes from prison. And the Grand Council woman gets to send the inventor of Stitch, Dr. Jumba Jakuba, and a little assistant named Pleakley to a planet called Yarf, which is Earth, whatever, to get Stitch. And Stitch happens to land in a wonderful land called Hawaii. There we meet Lilo, a young girl. She's very lonely. She doesn't really have any friends. It's just her and her sister. And uh, when Stitch makes a crash landing, they meet by chance encounter. When she decides to adopt a dog, she thinks Stitch is a dog. She's a little girl. She's not that bright about that. But uh, yeah, they just have a lot of fun shenanigans because alien, little human girl. What more could you want? What bad things could happen? But it's just, uh, yeah, it's just them. And it's a very heart, uh, heartfelt, touching film about family. That is like the center of this movie, Ohana. Ohana means family. And family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Again, it's a very great Disney film. It has some very great character development. Wonderful songs. My God, I love like all the songs in this thing. And one of the, actually my favorite aspect of this is the watercolored backgrounds. And I don't know if you two noticed that at all. Okay, you're shaking your head, so you didn't notice it. 
but it is a it's an effect that uh, they did last with Dumbo, which was in like the 1940s. So yeah, but they're like beautiful watercolor effects for everything in this. There's a lot of good subtle hints of things like Lilo taking the pictures of the uh, tourists and everything and the wacky deleted scenes that probably weren't so great for 2002 standards. Uh, yeah, but we can talk about that later. But yes, I just love this film and you two better love it. I mean, it's Lilo and Stitch. And honestly too, it had some of the best, best trailer marketing back in 2001, 2002 because Stitch would place himself in like multiple Disney film trailers. Like Rafiki was holding him up instead of Simba. He like crashed with a uh, Jasmine taking her off of the magic carpet. Yeah, mm-hmm. he crashed on the waves with the Little Mermaid. It was so good. But anyway, go ahead. Love it. <laughs> yeah, um, you sent me your Disney ranking after rewatching this and I saw it was number three. Um, and I was like, whoa, like I hadn't seen this in a long time. And I was like, really? Lilo and Stitch, is it that good? Like I, I didn't know, I didn't remember as well as I thought. And I watched it and I'm like, okay, maybe it is top three. I mean, it's, it's really good. It's, it's great. I would say, um, I haven't seen all the Disney movies like you have, but I'm thinking Lion King is the only one that I'm like, for sure, for sure. This is better. Um, unless you include Pixar, obviously I'm a big toy story guy, but um Lilo and Stitch is phenomenal you mentioned the the trailers I also love the original theatrical poster of this where Stitch is like in the middle and you've got all these other Disney characters around him and they're all just like disgusted um it's absolutely hilarious I remember even as oh gosh um a seven-year-old seeing this movie in the theaters like seeing that poster like my little seven-year-old mind was like that's a great poster um, but yeah, I, I think Lilo herself is just one of the most fascinating and lovable Disney characters there is. Um, and of course her relationship, her friendship with Stitch is just so fun to behold. I think at the end of the day, this movie is just so sweet. It's, it's a really, one of the sweetest movies I have ever seen in a way that doesn't you know, come off as too overly sentimental. I mean, it's a Disney movie, so you know you're going to get some of that, but I think it works really well. Um, also, Nani, I don't know if we talked about Nani yet. I think Nani's great as well, and the, you know, sister kind of relationship slash, you know, I wouldn't say rivalry, but, you know, kind of, you know, going at each other's heads is funny at times, and but overall ends up just like the relationship with Stitch, ending up very being very wholesome um, and enjoyable and really nice. I love, love the scene where they go surfing um, and you've got Hawaiian roller coaster ride playing and it's just a beautiful, gorgeous, like super well animated scene as is the whole movie. Um, and even the scenes in space, like in, in the first, you know, five to 10 minutes, they create this whole world in space that we don't really stick with for much of the movie, but you know, what's going on there. They've got their own governmental process and it's like a lot more complex than I would expect from a Disney movie to start out as, um, but also really cute. So yeah, Lilo and stitch. I am surprised how well this held up for me, but it's wonderful. And also before Maddie starts, it also has one of the best intros to a movie because I don't know, like that whole space sequence. And then it leads into the first song with like Walt Disney Pictures presents. Yeah. And then all the fish. It's ah, I love that scene so much. Okay, sorry. Go, Maddie. 
Um, from this is probably as an adult become a favorite Disney wise. I liked it a lot as a kid, but it started climbing the ranks the older that I got. And I think it's because the convention that it breaks when we're talking about females in Disney movies, um, they're like three-dimensional characters. Wow. Imagine they represent even at like the simplest way, like a different body type, like, Nani is so great. She's such an interesting character and just the way that they portray them is not ever seen in Disney movies. So even in like the early two thousands, it's kind of surprising that they decided to go this route, I guess. Cause I feel like Disney's rubber banded back and forth between like the old style of Disney princess slash women. And then this form um, from like a feminist point of view, I really enjoy Lilo and Stitch. Um, but from also the point of view of, I guess, uh, like colonizing and how it's viewed in Hawaii and in terms of this movie, it's very interesting to like see Disney address it in that way. Um, and the way of <laughs> Lilo taking pictures of all of the tourists and she has like a whole wall of them and she stands back admiring them and is like, aren't they beautiful? <laughs> it's, it's so funny and innocent. Um, but I just, it's such a wonderful film. I really love it. I'm sure it was a very difficult decision choosing between this and a few of the other animated nominated features for this year um but it's just wonderful yeah I definitely I loved it as a kid I liked it even more as an adult and I would revisit it over and over again um I also want to say that the I mean you got some good points there actually but the whole thing about the colonizing part and the fact that they do address that and there's also a moment to where Nani is trying to look for a job and you can hear the lady she's interviewing with saying, well, the tourist season is done. So I don't really have any need to hire any more people because that's mostly what Hawaii's economy is. It's based off the tourism because what does also Nani work at? She works at one of those cliche luau restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. So good points there. Um, but I just also want to say that this, I mean, it's a Disney movie, so it spawned the sequels just straight to DVD, but the world that it builds to in the TV show of yes. Lilo and Stitch, where you get to meet his the other experiments. I just want to say that those are a pretty good show when I was a kid because you get yes. to see his brothers and sisters. So, yeah, and like it wasn't. I'm pretty sure the structure was each episode was a new experiment. So yeah. it was like, which one is it? Oh, it's like six two nine this time. And yeah, I really enjoyed that show when it came out as well. Um, uh, one other thing, very underrated Disney character, one Cobra Bubbles. <laughs> also perfect casting with Bing Rames uh, voicing that role that I love Cobra Bubbles. Big fan. I guess on that note, also <laughs> Cobra Bubbles, great character. But in another, I guess, divergent fr from usual Disney is talking about different kinds of family structure. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they touch on what 
we would like commonly refer to as like a, a broken family in middle-class society, but it's really common that indigenous families have their children taken away from them and then are adopted by commonly white families in Hawaii as well as mainland. And it's something that's not talked about a lot. Um, so I, as an adult, I just find it shocking that Disney would address that, but it's a very important part of the story is Nani's trying to keep their family together and it's proved to be very difficult um, because of standards that we have put in social services. I honestly am about to cry because I didn't even think about that. I would say this is one of the best movie discussions we've had, largely because of all these points Maddie is bringing up. Uh, This is awesome. But no, and like Stitch even has that quote towards the end, which is like, like shattered my heartstrings, which is just like, it's little and broken, but still good. And I was like, ah, that part gets me every time. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. Very well written movie. Honestly. Uh, and also there's legality in it because Lilo buys Stitch and she's like, well, I have a legal contract. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so many good points, though. I'm on the first yes. years. It's like, I can't even think about this. This now. is great. I, I know. This I'm tearing up a little bit. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Disney, this is so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. Um. Yeah, Christian, do you want to go over, you know, what this was nominated for? Yeah, um, it was nominated for Best Original, or I'm sorry, Best Animated Feature, and that was it. Um, it does have some original songs in it, like Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride that definitely could have gotten in there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But uh, it's such a good, it's such a good movie. Like, even if it wasn't a dis- like labeled with a Disney on it, it's still a damn fine film. Oh, yeah. For sure. I also remember seeing this movie, um, Story Time, because I took swim lessons during the time that this came out in June, and I did not want to go to swim lessons. But my parents were like, "If you don't go, you're not going to go see this." Yeah, and I went, and we went later that night. Very nice. I'm oh, and also, mentioned. also another thing: the use of Elvis songs in this, because Elvis is so known with like Hawaii for whatever reason. But <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm sorry, there's so many things about this movie that I love. <laughs> the ending sequence of Burn and Love, sung by Winona, it's so good with all the pictures they have and all the little scenes of like yeah. what we are as a family now. Oh. Absolutely. Do you remember um, when Disney on Ice was a big thing? It's still a big thing. Is it still a big thing? Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Got it. I didn't even know if it's still, but yeah. I think it, no, it still is because they still do tour. Oh, good. Well, yeah, my uh, my parents took me and my brother one year and we got like little stitch uh, snow cone things where his little head popped open and you get your snow cone out of it. And I'm pretty sure we still have it somewhere. So big deal. Uh, thank you to Kohl's. Uh, about a month ago, they had Disney plushies on sale. They do like proceeds to children's charities and I bought me a stitch one. Yeah. Um, another point, not necessarily about this movie, but going forward, this is getting a live action remake slash sequel. I can't remember which it is. Um, I am not, of course I'm going to watch it, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to it. I'm just, I'm scared of what they're going to do. 
Just James so. Corden is going to be stitched. Just you wait. Wait. Oh, no, 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 I no, thought you were no. serious. I was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> you both are probably panicking. no. But you know what? Stranger things have happened. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Lilo and Stitch? Also, um, you guys said this with uh, Ving Rhames voice cast, but they're all great. It's a great voice cast as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to transition to another animated film from this year. And Maddie, you can take us away on that one. All right. So um, I chose Spirited Away as one of my movies uh, because, I don't know, I think it, well, it won the Academy Award that year for animated feature. And it's always the, usually the first anime that I show to somebody who's never seen anime before. Um, But let me tell you a little about the film. Um, So Hayao Miyazaki is the director and creator of Studio Ghibli. Um, And I would say Spirited Away is one of the most celebrated animated features in recent memory. Um, So as is a convention of his films, the protagonist is a young and fearless heroine named Chihiro. She and her parents are driving to their new house in suburban Japan when they decide to stop and stretch their legs. They wander through a tunnel and into a seemingly abandoned amusement park, but soon find that it is filled with mysterious and spiritual energy. Chihiro's parents partake in a mystical feast presented to them and are turned into pigs. Chihiro meets a boy around her name around her age named Haku, who explains the park is really a resort for supernatural beings who need to take a break from the earthly realm. And Chihiro ends up striking a deal with the owner of the resort uh, to work there to free her parents. I love this movie. It's whimsical and wonderful, so original and astounding. And the art is beautiful. Um, the characters are out of this world, bigger than life. Um, it can be like a little scary at times, um, but it's a lot of fun. I love Studio Ghibli for the, their strong female leads who are often very young or children. Um, and I don't know, I just really love this film. Um, I was blown away the first time I saw it. I'm still blown away every time, but the art is spectacular. It's just moving art. It's amazing. This movie is incredible. It It is unreal how good this movie is. Um, I, my familiarity with Hayao Miyazaki is, I would say, pretty limited. I'd seen My Neighbor Totoro years ago. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service was... The Miyazaki I grew up with um, on VHS, obviously the English dub version, and um, I, I've seen the, the Wind Rises, and I think that's all I've seen. But this is not only the the best I've seen, but just one of the best animated movies I've ever seen. Period. Um, maybe the best, if not my favorite. Not my favorite. I mean, Toy Story is like top five all time, but like uh, if I could do it objectively, it's like this thing does things I've never seen in movies. Um, the world building is just so good. Um, the characters that come about and um, the experiences that Shahido has and whatnot is, 
it's just what's gonna what's gonna happen next like i'm i want this character to to get home and to get to where she wants to be but i also want her to remain here so i could just keep seeing what comes out of this and um what happens what directions it takes but yeah like i said it's scary at times a little bit creepy um always engaging and it was one like i finished it and i was like that's a masterpiece um which normally that's one where i'm like i have to watch a movie either twice or like think on it for a while but i'm like this is unreal um how good this movie is like and it, i one thing i love that is i can't always explain why that is it's just a feeling i have that it's just like i've just watched something really really special um and so that's kind of how i felt watching it i think the screenplay's terrific the voice performances are terrific i did watch um the japanese version and i haven't watched the english dub one before but i find it interesting that davy chase played both chihiro and uh lilo and lilo and stitch um same voice actor so yeah it's great i i love it i look forward to watching it someday and just going like straight through all of miyazaki's filmography one of these days and just watching them all and seeing what else he had in store i'm gonna jump in before christian real quick as you open your mouth <laughs> i cut across you um I just want to say it was the first and only hand-drawn and non-English language animated film to win this award, but also keeping with um, what Michael Moore did at the Academy Awards, Hayao Miyazaki did not attend the awards due to America <laughs> starting a war. <laughs> he was like, I'm not about this, as we should all be anti-war, but, you know, um, Hayao's like very, very anti-war and all of his art is anti-war and it always has like a deeper meaning to it. Um, but anyways, go ahead, Christian. Um, I love this movie, film, movie, film, but I love it. I've loved it ever since the first time I saw it, which was way back in, I think 2002, 2003, whenever it first came out on VHS. So I grew up actually watching the English language dub of it with the V Chase as um, Shihiro. And also she voices Lilo, like Brett said. There's a lot of actually Disney voice people that you're familiar with in that. And I'm sorry to say, but when I did watch it for this podcast, I was very, very tired and very stressed out. And I picked the first one that happened to be on HBO and it was the English one. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I will be that person to be like, I saw the English one. And because I grew up with it. So I'm like used to it. I have seen the Japanese dub of this. So we good. You can't be, don't criticize me. Don't lose followers that way. Um, they're both very good. I must say though. But yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Very well uh, hand drawings here. It's magical. A lot of people compare it to Alice in Wonderland. And it definitely is a heightened Alice in Wonderland, like a more, holy shit, Alice in Wonderland. Um, but yeah, it's scary. I remember used to being scared of the, the water spirit and cleaning it up and everything there. And Yubaba, she's just like creepy as hell. <laughs> and no face, of course, but eh, you know. Um, but yeah, ah, Spirit Away is so good. And I'm glad that Maddie picked this one because you were originally going to pick this for 2001 because it was released around the world in 2001 but here u.s release date was 2002 so 
we waited, but it was worth the wait. And I forgot that, Brett, this was your first time seeing it. So, yeah, great film, nevertheless, you know. Yeah. Um, Maddie, you may have already mentioned this. Did you say, is this the best Miyazaki or your favorite Miyazaki film? I, Howl's Moving Castle probably supersedes this one. It's my favorite to show people who have never seen anime before. I showed this to my current boyfriend and he was like, didn't have any idea what was going on, what to think. He was like, what is this? What is that? It's like, you just can't question it. You're along for the ride yeah. and you have to be okay with that. It's just an artistic experience. Um, but it, it just holds a special place in my heart for sure. It's just so beautiful and whimsical. I love it. It's probably my second favorite of Miyazaki's. Very nice. I've heard Howl's Moving Castle mentioned a lot as well. So that makes sense. Very Christian, nice. Ask mine. Yeah, I, I was actually going to next. Christian, oh, what sorry. is this oh, your favorite? Sorry. I'm sorry. I thought this is because Maddie picked it. Yes, this actually is my favorite of his. Oh, very nice. And it's because, I, like I said, I grew up watching it. And um, I have a story for everything. My God. But we had a reward in sixth grade. And our reward was to watch a movie. And we picked this movie to watch. And my teacher was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's this and then Totoro because Totoro is really cute but like I said yeah. this is like an enhanced Alice in Wonderland and I've always loved that story of a single person going to a land where they have no control over their surroundings and everything is above them and everything is like after them and that's what this is but it's like it's so great and she goes even farther than the bathhouse she goes into this whole world and it's like I want to go to the next town over you know, mm -hmm. ah, sorry, sorry. I love it. I love it too. Good animated films this year, yo. But no, I mean, I I think it. That's part of its charm is that you do. It feels like you are experiencing it with her. I mean, Christian, you mentioned all the things that kind of like frightened you a bit when you were watching it as a kid, and I think what might have frightened me the most is the idea of my parents turning into pigs. I mean, it, it starts off that way, and it's like, oh, that's really scary. Here I am in this world alone, and so by leading into it that way, we're kind of, we're with her. Um, and we like, if you're a first time watcher like myself and you haven't gone and spoiled it for yourself or, you know, somebody else has spoiled it for you, you experience with her, um, the highs and the lows and the fears and whatnot. And I legitimately wondered, um, I'm not going to reveal the ending here, but like, I questioned as it went on, like, is she going to make it home or not? Like, or, or is she going to be here forever? Um, and that's, it makes for a really, interesting experience so very nice uh maddie do you want to go over this one's oscar night and um the other fun fact we have here um let me browse real quick if anybody else has it up feel free but okay i'll do it i'll <laughs> there do you it. go okay, you're so quick maddie you're fast you already know <laughs> so maddie did say that it did win the one oscar for best animated feature the only uh, anime one as of now to do so. And the only fun fact that I put on here to keep it brief, but something really, really big, it held the record until only last year as the number one highest grossing film in Japan. So it held a 19 year record, like, whoa. Also, I think it is the only second uh, best picture winner for their uh, version of the Oscars over there along with Princess wow. Mononoke, which is also Miyazaki. So Miyazaki is basically 
a king. He's a king all around the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was looking here. Uh, the movie that topped it is one I'm definitely not familiar with. Demon Slayer. Not familiar, but might be worth checking out. It's a film that took that record. So, all right. Any final thoughts on Spirited Away before we move on to our last film? It is on HBO Max. Please watch the Japanese one, but also the English one ain't bad. Sorry. No, yeah, no, that's a good point because I you can select like on the front screen of HBO Max because I started on HBO Max, thought they only had the English version and was like, oh no, they have where you can switch it here. So be on the lookout for that for whichever version you decide to watch. Oh, also the music in this is like, love it. Oh, yes. All right, uh, Maddie, you're going to take us away on our final film as well. So go ahead and take us away on that one. So for my second film, I chose E2 Mama Tambien. And this is the only Alfonso Cuaron movie I've seen. I have yet to see Roma, I know. You haven't seen Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? Oh, you're right, you're right. I was looking at his his art, his stuff on IMDb, and I was like, oh. Um, so... Uh, in the setting of Mexico City, Tenoch and Julio are abandoned by their girlfriends who are traveling to Europe before college. Um, at a family wedding, Tenoch and Julio meet Luisa, the wife of Tenoch's cousin. Trying to impress her, they boast of their upcoming trip to the fabled beaches of Boca del Cielo, which don't actually exist, uh, but they wanted to impress her and seem cool and but uh, when Luisa learns of her husband's infidelity, she decides to take the two up on their offer of the trip. So on the surface, this film in short is about two hormone strong 17 year old boys going on a whirlwind road trip with the beautiful immature wife of Tenochtitlan's cousin. And on the deeper level, uh, it forces the three to learn about life, friendship, sex, and one another. Um, overall, I enjoyed this movie. I thought everybody's chemistry was really good. It felt very natural. All of the dialogue felt very real. Um, I very much enjoyed, uh, the two, um, the two leads played by Diego Luna, which I didn't know. He really does look like he is 17 in this movie. I believe he's 22, um, and I don't know how to say his name, Gael Bernal. Um, they had really great chemistry together. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I kind of always saw it and never knew what it was about. I guess I knew the surface level of like this drama, comedy, romantic, you know, road tour movie. Um, but I really enjoyed it overall. I liked it. It was kind of uncomfortable at times. <laughs> that is one horny movie. <laughs> um, I'll go first. Cause Brett, you haven't seen it, right? No. Okay. So I'll go first. So we can get your reaction last. Um, but another film that I really, really enjoy. Um, I haven't seen it in a few years, but it held up for me a lot. And it is a very, it's a buddy road movie. There's comedy in it. There's hell of a lot of drama and there's a lot of relationship issues in it. But no, they, it's, I don't know. It's a simple movie for me. Um, 
I don't know. Alfonso does a really good job here, I think, in more filmmaking than anything. Because all of the shots here, and that's, I think Lubetsky does the cinematography here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, but I mean, that and just the characterizations of everything. And I'm pretty sure that um, I want to say the Diego Luna character is much more related to Cuaron because his maid in this movie is the maid that uh, Cuaron actually had growing up who would inspire the character in Roma. Yeah. So big fun fact there. I know Maddie's like, whoa, go watch Roma. (laughs) Also, Maddie, go watch it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I especially love, oh, I got to get her name. I'm sorry. Uh, Maribel Verdu in this, who's the female lead. She's magnificent in this. She's also seen in Pan's Labyrinth, which I was kind of blown away because I did not know that she's in like two of my favorite Spanish speaking movies of all time. But yeah, if you just want a good buddy road trip movie with a girl and a hell of a lot of sex and nudity, <laughs> this is the movie for you. Yeah, I definitely think you can feel, you can definitely feel that this is an Alfonso Cuaron film. Just from what I've seen from him before and going to this, it feels very personal. He's he's a very personal filmmaker. Um, and so that's definitely felt here. And I really enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, just the relationship between um, the two guys movie. And then of course, once, um, you know, Louisa comes into the fold it's just really interesting to see their dynamic and how it shifts over time and kind of the like the boy-like sensibilities that the two have as they're kind of discovering things about themselves and about each other through this journey one thing I absolutely adored about this movie was the voiceover um it's something that kind of comes in not so much randomly but from time to time and it's not your typical voiceover where like it's narrating what's happening in the movie it it, it, it kind of just like helps create that sense of place um, and we'll kind of touch on things that don't automatically like fit with what's on screen. Like I know at one point they're driving down the road and talks about like, you know, I think it says like someone uh, will die on this road like months from now or something like, or somebody had died there or something like that. It's a really interesting and effective use of voiceover that I think you're either into it or you're not. And I was very much into it. Um, but yeah, I, I agree, especially with what you said, Christian, about, Maribel Verdu, I think she's phenomenal. Um, and I, I think all three are really great, but I think she was definitely the standout for me. And I think it's, it's a really challenging role, um, you know, for an actress to get into that character and kind of the role she has and what she experiences and um, the relationship that the three have. I think she absolutely knocks it out of the park. Um, the ending of this film, very somber and profound. Um, and really that was something that really stuck with me after it ended overall, I would say the middle section at times did, I, I won't, it definitely didn't take me out of that. I was always interested, but the middle section at some times didn't always work for me just because you have this, what felt to me like a long period where the two guys are not really, uh, they're, they're at odds with each other, a lot of jealousy and whatnot going on there. And I, I almost wish that part had been a little bit short because I just love the scenes where they're really bonding and whatnot. Um, but no, it's definitely not one of my favorite Coron films. I think uh, if you want another movie recommendation, Maddie, I actually think his best is probably Children of Men. Um, that's the one that really stands out to me. But, um, and, and Christian seems to agree with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, this is still a really good feature. I think it has an excellent screenplay and it's definitely worth checking out. Um, 
I'm like, I'm just kind of browsing Wikipedia here. And there's something I feel like I should always do when watching a movie from another country, but I never really looked into the political backdrop of this. And I wish I would have um, after watching or before watching, because I'm sure that has a pretty profound effect on the narrative as well. I like that it's definitely a story of two boys growing into becoming two men too. And you can definitely see that in the ending scene of this film because I mean, I won't say what all exactly happens, but they definitely learn who they are and grow the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Also another recommendation because I also love Alfonso Cuaron, Maddie, but he does. And this is what kind of got them to pick him to do Prison of Azkaban, but he does a fucking fantastic job with the little princess from 1995 yeah that's that's also a great film yeah i haven't seen the one but i've heard it's really good oh my god it's great yeah look michael moore steven spielberg alfonso we're all here miyazaki, miyazaki we're all yeah here. we're all here for this oh and spike lee sure but no, <laughs> different story but hey other than that i did not notice like the wild lineup of directors we have here until you mentioned that so it's interesting very nice. Well, um, this this actually did get nominated for Best Original Screenplay, um, which we'll get to our personal words, but I think that's really well-deserved. Um, definitely worth checking out. Any final thoughts on this film before we move on? As we're filming this actually just a few days ago, it celebrated its 20th, I think, 20th anniversary. Yeah, because it came out of Mexico and like same thing, it came out of Mexico in 01, okay. but in the United States, 02. Right. Happy morning. Very nice. Awesome. Well, now we will move on to our section of honorable or dishonorable mentions. Um, as always, with these more recent years, we've got a pretty good list here. And so any quick thoughts on these, feel free to share. Number one here is Eight Mile. I'm not going to lie. There was a time in my life where Eight Mile was a top five movie for Brett. Oh, so- my God. <laughs> Eminem, Kim Basinger. I actually think Kim Basinger is excellent in it. Not going to lie, but uh, Brittany Murphy and Brittany Murphy. Yes. Honestly, people are always gagged when I'm like, yeah, I like that movie. I like it a lot. It's so good. It's good. It's good. Michael Shannon, early Michael Shannon too. So yeah. Uh, Next one is eight women. Bonjour. This is a French Christmas murder mystery lesbian whodunit movie. But I think, believe, Catherine Deneuve is in it. But when I first saw it, my biggest draw for it was Isabelle Hubert is in it. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's fun. Definitely watch it at Christmas time. Very nice. Uh, 28 Days Later, which, gosh, I forgot about. I didn't get to zombie movie Danny Boyle. Yeah, good yeah. shit. I really liked Cillian Murphy in A Quiet Place Part 2, and I like him as an actor, so I, I need to check it out. Uh, next one is about Schmidt, um, Jack Nicholson, his final Oscar nomination for now. Um, I think the movie's just okay, but I think he's pretty excellent in it. Not going to lie. Yeah, it's an okay movie. Yeah. Uh, adaptation, period. Overrated. <laughs> that is uh, Charlie Kaufman, um, Nicolas Cage. Actually, Nicolas Cage got a nomination for that as well. As did Merrill. As did Merrill and, and Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper won. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Next, we have Austin Powers in Gold Member. 
Beyonce? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot she was in this. I was not allowed to watch these as a child. So I watched them for the first time last year consecutively in the same day. How fun. They're fun movies. Yeah. They are. <laughs> also, say- the, best, the best part in this has Nathan Lane and he's like uh, talk syncing to Beyonce's voice. Uh-huh. Best shit ever. I say I don't remember Gold Member at all. I remember the first two, but for some reason this one I don't remember as well. Um, bend it like Beckham. It's fine. Nightly. It's yeah, it's fine. I'm not like the biggest fan, but I saw it last year. Very nice. Uh, Better luck tomorrow is our next one. Oh, so I took a class uh, when I was at college, and it was media representation. And so this film is directed by Justin Lin, who did like the, I think the the first batch of Fast and Furious movies, but it is about a group of Asian American students and they enter a world of petty crime. And yeah, it's, it's a very underseen movie. Look, nobody's ever heard of it, but I remember it and it's pretty good. Very nice. All right, next we have the first Jason Bourne film, uh, The Bourne Identity which I personally think is the weakest of the first three, but I still enjoy it to a degree. Daddy and I watched it on my birthday once. Oh. Very nice. I don't remember that, but we did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was literally about to say, I've never seen any of those movies. <laughs> you know what? Christian is also here for the memories. Okay. Uh, next is Bus 174, the Brazilian documentary I mentioned before. I think it's great. Christian and I watched it in the class once. It is pretty good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cabin Fever. The reason time. I won't go into the woods. <laughs> it's so creepy. It's like, it's so good, though, I must say. It's like so good. good. It's gory as fuck. It's, but... Yeah, it's nasty. It's just a nasty <laughs> movie. I'm pretty sure I saw that Roger... Ebert like detested that movie. I think it's that one he was not a huge fan of. Maybe I'm thinking of something else, but uh, next we have The Country Bears, which I have not seen since it came out, but wow. It's so good. I'm not going <laughs> to It's so good. You know, it's underrated. I watched it for this thing. I hadn't seen it since it came out, like Brad, but oh my God. Am I, a, am I, a, what is it? What did I say? Am I a bear or am I a muppet? Okay. Uh, next, we have Death to Smoochie, which I'm only familiar with because back in the day when grocery stores actually rented out VHS tapes, I remember seeing the cover every time we went. And I'm like, that movie looks weird, but that's all I know. That's a Maddie movie. <laughs> I thought it was, I liked it. I think I looked on IMDb and it's not rated very high. Uh, <laughs> but Edward Norton and Robin Williams are great in it. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. Very nice. Next, we have Die Another Day. Another one I totally forgot came out this year, but I think it was Pierce Brosnan's last James Bond movie. Oh, boy, is it rough. <laughs> Unless you want to see, like, Madonna in her one scene, which is... <laughs> All right. Uh, Eight Crazy Nights, Adam Sandler animated movie. Probably should have been up for best original song. Underrated movie. Yeah. Um, next, we have Enough. Jennifer Lopez yes the movie with Jennifer Lopez that I've never actually seen in full I've only ever seen the ending because that's the part I always walk in when my mom is watching it on tv very nice and I always have to be like why is she doing that who's she running (laughs) from 
Uh, next, we have Far From Heaven, wonderful Todd Haynes movie with a wonderful Julianne Moore performance. It's great. We watched it in class once and I was like, oh. yeah, it's gorgeous. But Julianne and me are like, you know, we're tight. <laughs> uh, next, we have Frida, Oscar nominated term from Salma Hayek. I haven't seen it in like ages, but she's really good in it from what I remember. Very nice. And we had the second Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which I like it more than most do. I think it's really good, like mystery Harry Potter. But I realize I'm not, I'm in the minority of that. It's super long for no reason. It is long. I will give you that. Uh, Next, we have Ice Age, the first of how many now? Five, six? Yeah, something like that. First one's good, okay? It's good. I like it. Uh, Insomnia, which is an early Christopher Nolan film. Really interesting because it, it doesn't feel like a Nolan movie to me. It doesn't have any of his like weird twists and turns and like stuff like that going on. But good Al Pacino performance, I will say. Uh, next, we have John Q with Denzel Washington. It's a good movie. Right? Yeah. 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 They used to, they showed it in uh, one of our religion classes, but they showed it like the year after us and then they never showed it again so we didn't get to see it so i had to see it on my own oh okay uh we have another jennifer lopez movie made in manhattan which is i believe is still one of my mom's favorite movies not gonna lie uh it's one of your friend christian's favorite movies as well oh okay in this house we respect miss lopez of course of course uh next we have the master of disguise which I've never seen, but eight-year-old Brett was just like enamored with the trailer. You've never seen, never the seen it. <laughs> it's, Specifically uh, the turtle turtle part. Yeah, yeah, so, that's, yeah. that's all you need to see. You just need to see the turtle scene in context. It was in every trailer. So, oh, in context. Okay. Uh, minority or poor. I guess you could also say this was one of the last great Spielberg movies if you think it's great. I think it's mildly good. How dare you? Also, movie Maddie and I also watched again. Yes, we did. And I do remember that one. <laughs> uh, it's great. I like that movie a lot. It is very interesting. It's 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 a solid three and a half stars for me. Yeah, okay, move on. <laughs> Next we have my big fat Greek Maddie, which is also a solid three and a half stars for me, but Christian, it, yeah, I'm pretty sure thinks it's a masterpiece. So it's a fun we're already expletive on all the itunes stuff it's a fun (laughs) fucking movie okay and my family will quote the whole like what is a bump it's a bump what do i do with a bump it is a fun movie my mom my mom's favorite part is when the aunt is telling the story about um her twin being in a lump on her neck (laughs) (laughs) that that is funny yeah Uh, uh, yeah it's a great movie very nice. Next, we have One Hour Photo with Robin Williams, which I also forgot to get to, even though you oh, told me to. I apologize. It's so good, though. He's so good in it. He's also good in Insomnia. He's the villain in that movie, which is interesting. So, And Maddie actually just found out about One Hour Photo like last week. Oh. I did, and I was like, this is too stressful to watch right now in my <laughs> life, but I will eventually. Robin Williams also... Oh, has yeah. an, an amazing array of acting abilities, but I'll watch it someday. Very nice. 
Next, we have Panic Room. Uh, Fincher, I believe. I can't believe I didn't watch this one. It's uh, from what I've seen it once, but the first time I saw it, my God, I was stressed out the entire time. It's, it's good, though, but it's like, whoa. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, next one, honest, I, I'm not going to lie. I wish I had picked this instead of 25th Hour. It's Punch Drunk Love. I think the best PTA movie I've seen. Great Adam Sandler performance. I will say it. Great Adam Sandler performance. I was blown away the first time I watched it. I'm bad. So I've never good. seen it. It's so good. It's so good. Like Adam Sandler does things you don't think he could do. Yeah. And that's called acting. <laughs> I at like when it came out, I've read like reviews of time and people were like, oh my gosh, maybe Adam Sandler's like, he's just going to go on a roll now. And then he didn't until Uncut Gems. So yeah, I can do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Real Women Have Curves. I have not heard of this one. Oh, it's a good TV movie with America Ferreira. I believe it's on a, it should be on HBO because it was an HBO movie. But yeah, a Mexican-American woman and just about her life and struggles. Very nice. Uh, next one up is Resident Evil. Meh. Also the first of many, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and then next up, The Ring, the U.S. version. It's fine. I mean... I've, I didn't see that as a child. I've talked to a lot of people who were scarred by that movie as children or terrified by it as children, I should say. Lila was also in this movie. Oh. Yes. Wait, like, was she the, the well girl? Yes, she's the well girl. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, next up is another one I kind of wish I'd picked over 25th hour. It is Road to Perdition, which I was blown away by. I think it's incredible great great father-son movie great tom hanks performance once again you're sure regretting that 25th hour right? and i liked it but there's <laughs> oh, there's so many good ones this year including the santa claus 2 underrated movie it's so fun i'll never forget oh my god again i have a story for everything we were gonna go see it opening weekend and our car wouldn't start <laughs> so we had to wait till the next weekend to see it but damn it it is a good movie it's fun uh, Scooby Doo, which I recently rewatched. I just it's 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 a childhood favorite. I love that, um, and I it, I still enjoy it. So, um, Secretary with oh Maggie Gyllenhaal, I believe. Oh, uh, Maddie, do you have anything you want to say? <laughs> I have no comment about this movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it so look i i watched this movie it gave me indigestion i went to work the next day i told my co-workers about it and one of them proceeded to tell another co-worker to bend over and stop yeah stop right now wow this movie has it doesn't know what the fuck it is go okay well next up is signs from m night Shyamalan. I know I liked it when I first saw it, but I haven't seen it in so long. I can't say, oh, but so I know good. I really loved it when I first saw it. So, Maddie, do you I remember when you and I and Allie watched it? Yes. And it's we scary. Screamed. Remember we screamed at the birthday party theme? It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it again last week um, for like the third time. Oh, it's so good. The kid yeah. actors are so good. 
one of M night Shyamalan's greatest achievements for sure. It's, ah, oh, it's excellent. It's one of my favorite alien movies for sure. Nice. Okay. I have another story to go along with. <laughs> okay. So one, the last time I watched it, I watched it in a weird religious allegorical way about seeing is believing faith. Watch it that way. It makes like a total difference with it. It's like five stars for me. But anyway, um, so my parents clearly did not want me to go see this because I would be afraid, but also did not want me to go see Austin Powers and Goldmember because I said, hey, I want to go see that. And they said, well, they might show the trailer to signs in front of it. <laughs> and the trailer to sign starts out with daddy. There's a monster in front of my bed. And I was like, mm, I ain't doing that. We out. We yep. out. That's hilarious. All right, our next one here is the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. This is not, I, I like solid 3.5, but like I, I think it's a really looking at superhero movies. I think it's kind of really influential for the time it came out and whatnot, what it's kind of led to. So it's fun still. It is. Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite iteration of Spider-Man in film at this point. Nice. I mean we can't even talk about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I just hate them so much, but between him and Tom Holland, it's, it's pretty close, but I like the Spider-Man a lot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And listeners, I'm pretty sure whenever we do 2004, you will hear us talk about Spider-Man too. Yes, you will. Absolutely. Cause that's a masterpiece. Um, also Willem Dafoe is in like one of his full maniac modes in this movie. And I absolutely love that too. So um, next, we have Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which somehow has a sequel that came out last weekend, I guess, and nobody knew about it until like right before it came out. So, And you know who's in that sequel? Jake Gyllenhaal and Julianne Moore. No, really? Yes. Wow. yes. Interesting. I do. I, you know who's in this movie? This movie? Okay, so I've, I've never fully seen this, okay, because it is not a typical animated film where there's like characters who interact think of it like a animated chloe Zhao movie mm. okay the narration yeah. is by matt damon so matt damon is the horse i i haven't seen it since around time it came i just remember it being really sad so yeah uh next we have spy kids 2 which i recall being a lot of fun yeah. and Star Wars Attack of the Clones. I personally think it's the worst Star Wars movie to date, but that's just everybody. Me. I think everybody thinks that. Yeah. So, well, well, two out of the three of us, anyway. I didn't even finish the last series, the last trilogy of Star Wars. So Ooh. I walked, I walked out of the second to last one and I never looked back. So, wow. I give. Yeah. Give Attack of the Clones credit. It has one of the best memes uh, traversing the internet right now. So, um, oh, that yeah. One. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, next, we have Talk to Her um, from Pedro Almodovar. It, it really won good. best original screenplay. Yeah. Very good. Um, did it win international film too? No, because Spain did not submit it. That's right. We we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. that's wild to me. Um, next, we have another Disney movie from this year, Treasure Planet, which I think is really good. Um, 
I really love the the relationship in that movie, even if some of the animation is a little bit wonky at times. But I think it's really good. Yeah, I liked it. It's, yeah. uh, next, we have Unfaithful, which garnered a Best Actress nomination for Diane Lane. A movie in which my parents would always tell me, get out of the room, close your eyes, get out of the room, close your eyes. <laughs> it's sexy, okay? <laughs> and then last but not least, we have White's Oleander. Which is a very good movie. My God. Okay, definitely see it. Pretty sure somebody got a SAG nomination in this. But there was a lot of talk that I read where Michelle Pfeiffer was going to get like an Oscar nomination. But yeah, it's, it's a good, good movie. And Renee Zellweger is also in it. Perfect. All right. Well, yeah, that is our full list of honorable or dishonorable mentions. Now we can see how some of those may or may not have worked into our personal nominations and winners. And so we'll go like we normally do here. We've got um, six categories to go through. And let's go ahead and start with adapted screenplay. Uh, Christian, do you want to start us off this time going up from number five to one? Yeah. So my number five is Spider-Man. My number four is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Number three, The Pianist. Number two, Chicago. And my winner is... uh, Oh, you know what? I could have added something in here. Mm, Okay, well, whatever. It wouldn't have affected my winner. My winner is The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Very nice. Uh, Maddie, do you want to take us away with yours? Yes, I did Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, uh, Minority Report, The Pianist, um, uh, Lord of the Rings, and uh, my winner is Catch Me If You Can. Very nice. Yes. That's the one I left out. I know. I you left out. I was surprised. I went to IMDb just now and made sure it was adapted. So, <laughs> okay. But, so basically, uh, I, w- I would have put it in there, but it probably would not have affected my winner. There you go. Again, the, the Lord of the Rings books are like mm, for me, but the movie is like, wow, they really did that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, my number five is one Christian is going to hate. It is adaptation. Um, I, I think the screenplay is kind of cool. Uh, number four, I have The Pianist. Number three, I have The Two Towers. Number two, Catch Me If You Can. And my number one is Chicago. I know. I knew, I knew I was going to get that reaction I don't from know you. what to say. <laughs> this is a shock. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I thought I might get that reaction from you. It's very close, though. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to original screenplay. Christian, take us away here. Yes, my number five is Signs. Whoa. Number four, E2 Mama Tambien. Number three, Spirited Away. Number two, Lilo and Stitch. And number one, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. <laughs> All right, Maddie, take us away on yours. Okay, at number five, I have E2 Mama Tambien. At four, I have 28 Days Later. At three, I have uh, Lilo and Stitch. Two, I have Signs. And one, I have Spirited Away. All right. At number five, I have Talk to Her. 
At number four, I have E to Mama Tom Bien. Uh, number three, I have Lilo and Stitch. Number two, I have Spirited Away. And number one, I have Punch Drunk Love. And once again, three different winners. All right. Let's move on to best supporting performance. Christian, do you want to take us away here? Yes. All right. So I have 10. I have the full 10 here. So my number 10 is Andrea Martin for my big fat Greek wedding. Um, look, she's great. And number nine, Christopher Walken. Oh, for Catch Me If You Can. Number eight, Queen Latifah for Chicago. Number seven, Emily Watson in Punch Drunk Love. Great performance from her. And number six, Michael Constantine for My Big Fat Greek Wedding. That is her father. Number five, Lainey Kazan in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Number four, Willem Dafoe for Spider-Man. Look, he can get weird at times, but it's like, it's a good kind of weird. And number three, Tom Hanks. Oh, I put him supporting uh, in Catch Me If You Can. And my number two is Andy Serkis for The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And my winner is Catherine Zeta-Jones for Chicago. The old razzle-dazzle. She does a great job in that. Yes, she does. All right, Maddie, what do you got here? All right. At five, I have Willem Dafoe for Spider-Man. At four, I have Christopher Walken for Catch Me If You Can. Three, I have Joaquin Phoenix for Signs. Two, Catherine Zeta-Jones for Chicago. And my number one is uh, Maribel Verdu and E2 Mama Tambien. Very nice. Awesome. I also had 10 here. And Christian, you're going through and naming somebody that I, I feel so bad for leaving off. But this is what we got for now. Uh, number 10, I have Brian Cox for 25th Hour. Number nine, I have Meryl Streep for Adaptation. Number eight, I have, she's great in that movie. Come on. Number eight, I have Ed Harris for The Hours. Number seven, I have Kim Basinger for Eight Mile. Uh, number six, I have Paul Newman for Road to Perdition. If anything else, that performance is worth watching. Number five, I have Christopher Walken for Catch Me If You Can. Number four, Barry Pepper for 25th Hour. Number three, Catherine Zeta-Jones for Chicago. Number two, Maribel Verdu. For Itu Mama Tambien. And number one, I have the great Andy Circus for The Two Towers. All right, moving on to the leads. Christian, take us away here. Okay, so again, I can do whatever I want. So number 10 is both Gael Garcia Bernal and Diego Luna for Itu Mama, Itu Mama Tambien. They join the ranks of Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon in. Uh, That's fair. Oh my God. What's, what's the movie? The movie. Thelma and Louise. Yes, thank you. Where I combine them because why not? Number nine, I have Nia Vardalos for my Big Bang Greek wedding. I evidently strayed from you two because number eight is Marty Belverdu. So I put her lead here. I thought someone e might do that. Yeah, for E2 Mama Tambien. Number seven, Mr. Richard Gere for Chicago. Number six, Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love. Number five, Robin Williams for One Hour Photo. Number four, Leo DiCaprio for Catch Me If You Can. Number three, my girl Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven. Number two, Renee Zellweger in Chicago. Number one, my favorite performance out of 2002. That was Adrian Brody for The Pianist. 
those top, honestly, the top, the top four there, Leo, Julian, Renee, Adrian, hell, even Ron Williams, Adam Sandler, you're all fucking great. Okay. <laughs> 2002 is hard. This is a hard it, year. Yes, great year for lead acting performances, I will say. Maddie, what do you got here? All right, I for lead performance, I have seven. Maggie Gyllenhaal, secretary. <laughs> there goes Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he might. Uh, Killian Murphy for 28 Days Later. Mia Vardalos for My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Daniel Day-Lewis for Gangs of New York, Renee Zellweger for Chicago, uh, Jodie Foster for Panic Room, and my winner is also Adrian Brody for The Pianist. He ruined his life over that movie. He probably deserves <laughs> an award for it. Maggie Gyllenhaal's secretary. Wow, you just like... I said what I said. Oh, this is going to be controversial. Oh, get, get your expressions ready, Christian. I just know it's coming. Okay. Number 10, I have Julianne Moore for The Hours. Number nine, I have Meryl Streep for The Hours. Number eight, I have Tom Hanks for Road to Perdition. Number seven, Daniel Day-Lewis for Gangs of New York. Number six, Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven. Number five, Adrian Brody for The Pianist. Uh, number four, Leonardo DiCaprio for Catch Me If You Can. Number two, Renee Zellweger for Chicago. Number one, Jack Nicholson for About Schmidt, because he ran the full gambit of emotions in a very okay movie and blew me away. So there it is. He's an all-time great. What can I say? Wait, are you all-time like, great? Are you actually? I'm serious. serious. I am serious. Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt is a fantastic performance. He is so vulnerable in that movie and incredible. He's great. Wait a minute. Hold I'm up. serious. I am dead serious. We I know this talk, is going to be controversial. We, we don't talk about About Schmidt for this entire thing. We bring it up once and you're like, yeah, it's an okay movie. And then you're like, that yeah, is not. I said it's an okay movie, but Jack Nicholson is incredible in it. So Did you put Adrian Brody anywhere in there? Five. Okay. Because the fact that even like Julianne Moore and you love that movie was number six. And even the fact that Adam Sandler isn't number one, I I Adam Sandler, I I did, and Renee Zellweger, I both had at number one at one point. But yeah. I don't know. He blew me away in that movie. I thought he was great. I, I think a lot of it is because like I felt some emotions with like all the performances, but with his, I felt all the emotions. Like funny, sad, had me thinking deeply about life. It's a, once again, three and a half star movie. But you know me, I'm like the one who's like, I can think a movie is okay and also think like there's a fantastic performance there. So that's me. Hmm. Moving he was on. in the running to win this year, so yeah, I can't be the only one who thinks this way. And yet, you put two people from the hours in there too, which we agreed those two were great. I did not put Nicole Kidman in because you know, but yeah. into the stunt day. Moving on. All right, <laughs> next we have best director. Christian, take us away here. Yes. <sighs> All right. <laughs> like breathe. 
Peter Jackson at number five for Lord of the Rings Two Towers. Number four, Mr. Spielberg for Cat Kick Can. At number three, Hayao Miyazaki for Spirited Away. At number two, Roman Polanski ugh, for The Pianist. And my winner is Rob Marshall for Chicago. All right. Maddie, take us away on yours. All righty. At number five, I have M. Night Shyamalan for Signs. At number four, I have Alfonso Cuaron for Itu Mama Tambien. At number three, I have Steven Spielberg for Catch Me If You Can. Two, Peter Jackson, The Two Towers. And also Rob Marshall for Chicago at number one. All right. So my number five, I have Paul Thomas Anderson for Punch Drunk Love. Number four, I have Peter Jackson for The Two Towers. Number three, Sam Mendes for Road to Perdition. Number two, Rob Marshall for Chicago. And my number one is Hayao Miyazaki for Spirited Away. Yeah, I can agree here. Can't argue. Yeah, can't argue. Yeah. All right. Now the big one. We'll see if anything wild happens here. Best picture. Christian, go ahead and take us away. Okay. At number 10, I have Punch Drunk Love. At number nine, I have Itu Mama Tambien. At number eight, I have Far From Heaven. Number seven, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. At number six, The Pianist. At number five, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. At number four, Catch Me If You Can. At number three, Spirited Away. Number two is Lilo and Stitch. And the best, best picture winner in Christian's heart in 2002, The Country Bears. <laughs> Called it. Had money on that. And or Chicago. One of the two. All but right. To qualify for listeners at Chicago. <laughs> like, oh, the Country Bears. I'll have to see for that. <laughs> All right, Maddie, what do you got here? Well, I stopped at seven because I wasn't super enthusiastic about some of these. So I have my big fat Greek wedding at seven, six. I have signs five. I have catch me if you can Four. I have Abla con Ea or talk to her three. I have the pianist two. I have Chicago and number one. I have, I have the two towers. I had to. I just have to. All right. So mine at number 10, I have Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets. I'm a defender of that movie. Number nine, I have The Pianist. Number eight, I have The Two Towers. Number seven, I have Far From Heaven. Number six, Catch Me If You Can. Number five, Chicago. Number four, <laughs> number four Lilo and Stitch. Number three, Road to Perdition. Number two, Punch Drunk Love. Now you can see why I wanted those two over 25th Hour. But my number one is Spirited Away. Great pick, Maddie. Is that your first animated movie to win that? Of the years we have discussed, yes. I wow. believe it is. Yeah. Very right. nice. Yeah. And director. I, I, I think that's the only one year period where I would have director be an animated movie. So... Yeah, that was kind of that was fun. I think we had maybe like two agreements the whole time. Um, and so always like when we have some variants there. 
yes, that's what we think about the year overall, both Best Picture nominees and including some of the films we talked about today and maybe some that we didn't talk about so much. So thank you as always for listening, um, sharing, and always appreciate um, a rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Um, to follow us on all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. We're pretty much everywhere. Um, thanks as always to Joshua Arnoldi for uh, doing our theme music. And Maddie, thank you for returning this year after doing 2001 last year to do 2002 with us. Really appreciate having you on. Any final thoughts from you today? Thank you for having me on once again. I always enjoy being on this podcast because I watch movies I probably wouldn't watch otherwise, (laughs) but it's a lot of fun. Thanks everybody for listening. And yeah, I look forward to return of the King. (laughs) Absolutely. Discussing all of those movies with you guys. Absolutely. Christian, any final thoughts from you? Uh, Fun as always to do this. 2002 was kind of a hard year for me because there's just so much. So much to pick from, so much to award, so little time. But yeah, thank you all for listening. And I'm excited for the next one. And thank you, Maddie, again. Yes, absolutely. Next time we will be discussing the year 1938. So going way back um, to 30s this time to talk about the year that um, you can't take it with you, one best picture. And so I'll have a brand new guest for that. So be sure to tune in and we will um, go over all that then. See y'all.